36 and 25 of Ezekiel, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. I want to talk to you today about a heart of stone. But I, I believe that before we leave here, that God is going to take somebody's heart of stone and restore to them a heart of flesh. Amen. I believe God's going to do it today. Would you help me believe that right now, Father? We bless you with all our hearts today. We love you and we honor you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. Your word declares that when your spirit fills us, that that heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh that's moldable, that you can touch and challenge and change. I pray today, God, for good soil. Let the good seed be planted in the heart of flesh that your will would be accomplished in us through us and by us, speak through your servant this day, and we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. A heart of stone. When I gave my title to you today and read very quickly a blip from Ezekiel chapter 36, some of you immediately in your own spirit begin to testify of the goodness of the Lord. For you can identify with the thought and the idea that at one time you had a heart that God just couldn't touch. As a matter of fact, it's unique how the Lord works. When that heart is hardened and it is a hard place, a stony place, I could present to you the very same word to you that would today move you to tears. But when your heart is a heart of stone, the same exact word does not move you. This principle is drawn for us in the parable of what we call the parable of the sower. That's how it's identified in the scripture. The parable of the sower. But the truth of the matter is that it's really more a parable of the soil than it is the sower. Because the sower has the same job every day. Sow the seed. The seed was not the problem for the scripture said that it was good seed. The issue was not the sower. The issue was not the seed. The issue was the ground. The soil. Was the soil ready to receive the good seed? So today, before we go any further in this sermon, I want to tell you that no matter what I preach, from this moment until the altar call is given, a stony heart cannot receive the word of the Lord. I can preach to you today the most powerful truth, and your heart of stone cannot receive that word of truth. So today, as the word of God is being presented, I would ask of you today that you would request of the Lord 
to let his spirit begin to work on you while the word of God is coming forth today. Take down your guards. Take down the wall and ask the Lord to allow your heart to become massaged by the spirit of the living God. Because I want to tell you that in this house today, if you will let this powerful word of God begin to permeate and saturate your heart. I know it's easier sometimes to be hard. It's easier sometimes to put up that wall and say, I refuse to be moved. But as long as you refuse to be moved, you won't be moved. I know that's not deep today, but there is revelation in that. Somebody needs to let down that guard today and say, Lord, I've been fighting your will. I've been fighting your word. I've been fighting your presence. But today is the day that I'm going to allow you to massage my heart and make a difference in my life. I'm telling you right now that God has a way of rooting through bitterness. God has a way of rooting through anger. God has a way of rooting through that spirit that you have a hard time controlling. And his word can bring a calm to you. But you got to have the right heart. You've got to have the right heart. You've got to have the right heart. You know, even David, a man after God's own heart, he prayed a prayer to the Lord that I think sometimes we get confused about when he said this to the creator. He said, create in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me. I don't believe that that necessarily means that David was uh, inquiring of the Lord to take this heart out and to create a brand new heart or, or soul of the man and put it back in. We know that's not how it works. David wasn't saying, just give me a whole new spirit. Let me start over again. No, that's the beauty of the word of God is it, it doesn't just take out the old and put something new in. It takes the old that is broken and tattered and messed up and scarred. He takes things that are broken that others pointed at and said it will never amount to anything. It takes that old heart that has been beaten and bruised and it's been rejected and it's been lied to and he says I can do something there is something inside the heart of that man that I can create in him a clean heart and do something in his life if God were to just take everything away and start over with you your testimony would be gone but that's the beauty of how this works he takes what I have left and he begins to work with that and, and here's the reason why he does that, because some would say, but pastor, I've lived this long without him. I've rejected him this long. I, I, I really, I don't have enough left to give him. Oh, but you do. That's why you're here today. That's why you're still breathing. If there's oxygen in your lungs today, you have enough left that God can do something amazing in your life. Your past does not intimidate the Lord your failure does not intimidate the Lord he is not concerned with where you've been he knows every step you've taken but today he has ordered your steps and brought you to the house of the Lord and this is the greatest time of your life to respond to the good seed of the word of the Lord today well I just feel like, Pastor, I need to go with my gut feeling. That's what I need to do. Now, there's a lot of people that's gone with their gut feeling for a long time, and it hadn't worked out really well. The truth of the matter is that just behind that gut feeling, there is an assurance of what you really know you need to do. 
Jeremiah 17 and 9 said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart. The heart of a man is deceitful above all things. Your heart says, I'd rather just be happy. I'd rather just do my thing. I'd rather just go on and live my life. And it, it don't, I don't really care if it affects anybody else. I don't care what it does to anybody else. But the prophet said, the heart is deceitful. Because the truth of the matter is that the temptation to do what you want to do and live how you want to live never shows you the full preview window of what's going to happen when you make that decision. The people that will be affected, the lives that will be broken, the hearts that will be broken, the people that will be scattered, the collateral damage that will be done. Yes, the heart is deceitful. That's why we must have the Spirit of God to fill our hearts, our souls, and our minds. I'm telling you, Proverbs 4 and 23 said, To keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life within your heart there is a nature that is contradictory to the nature of God it contradicts the word of God but today the word of the Lord has come to you some of you feel that prick in your heart saying I don't know if I want to buy into what this guy's saying but the spirit of the Lord has sent me here on this Sunday morning to let you know that there is so much more potential in your life than you've ever dreamed. If you think life's been good till now, you just tried Jesus today. When you've tried everything else and everything else has failed, try Jesus. Now, let me hurry. I want to get to where I'm going today. I, I, I think we have a clear understanding this morning that if we rely on our own understanding. That there are consequences that cer certainly I know I don't want to pay today. But the psalmist told us to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own. See, y'all are preaching good. Thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct but when I'm trusting in my own heart and my own understanding, that means I'm ordering my steps. Is that true this morning? Have I walked out of the word yet? What happens when man leans to his own understanding and acknowledges his own ways and just follows whatever path he wants to go? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. We can answer that not by Pentecostal rhetoric, but by the scripture. For there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof is destruction. The scripture tells us that every man is right in his own eyes. That's why we have this equilibrium. That's why we have this equal ground. That's why we have this equator that brings us together at the word of God, at the foot of the cross. Because it doesn't matter where you've been, who you've been, what you've been. When you align your life with this precious word, you're, it doesn't matter if you were born into this thing or you were born into a family that doesn't even believe in God. The power of the word of God is that he can order your steps and rearrange your destiny. If you believe it, shout amen. So in Exodus chapter 7, you find perhaps one of the most classic philosophical conundrums that you'll ever find in the scripture. It is a story of the Lord speaking 
to Moses and saying to Moses in Exodus 7 and 3, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh. I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know what? That I am the Lord. When I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Well, folks, the problem is obvious. If it was God who hardened Pharaoh's heart, then did Pharaoh really have any freedom to choose as to whether or not to let God's people go? Think about it. If it was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart, how much choice did Pharaoh really have in the matter? Did he have freedom of choice? Well, I want to tell you something about freedom of choice. Freedom of choice is a powerful thing. I believe in the biblical understanding of predestination. I don't believe in predestination doctrine. I believe that every one of us, before we were born, we were predestined for greatness. There was a place in our lives that our life would intersect with the, the will of God for our life, and that was the will of God for us. But I don't believe that everybody in this room is predestined. I don't have time to get off into the doctrine of predestination, but what I'm saying to you is I don't believe that God just orders your steps in the day that I was born uh, that he said, okay, this is, this is his life. This is where he's going to go. This is going to be his wife. This is the house they're going to live in. This is the kind of car they're going to drive. This is the financial status I'm going to keep. I don't believe that. I, I, that's hogwash. I don't believe in that. But I do believe that free choice is the power that God gave us. And we see this very clearly in the Genesis. As man chooses either the will of God or the will of man. What happens when they lean to their own understanding? Cast out of paradise. So let's talk about Pharaoh. If Pharaoh did indeed have free choice, if it was Pharaoh, not God, who was responsible for the hardness of his heart, we see very, very clearly then Pharaoh has the choice. If he did not have free choice, it was God acting upon him, controlling his responses, determining his actions, if that is the case, and I have a question for you today, and I need to slow down and get you to ponder this in your heart. If Pharaoh did not have free choice and it was God that hardened his heart, then how is it that Pharaoh could possibly, possibly at all, deserve punishment from God? How was Pharaoh worthy and guilty of punishment if he had no decision in matter for Genesis 18 and 5 tells us in the end of that scripture said for shall not the judge of the earth do right I mean how is God possibly going to judge a man that he predestined him to fail oh well that's easy pastor it's because he stood against God's people no no it's really not that simple this is the conclusion the conclusional type doctrines that the enemy wants you to believe that it's over because he said it's over. But I feel like letting somebody know today, it's not over till God says it's over. Punishing Pharaoh for something he could not help doing 
is simply unjust. And I believe right here would be a good point uh, in time for me to interject that I believe God is just. Boy, that was weak. I didn't say he was fair. See, that, that would have got an amen from some. I learned a lesson. She's not here today. But I learned a lesson when I went to school from Margot Jones when she was my principal. I made the stupid mistake of telling Margot one day that that's not fair. I think it was 350 times, if I remember right, that I had to write out on notebook paper, life is not fair, but God is just. I may have written a couple other things and erased them in the process. You know, the truth of the matter is that life is not fair. You're going to go through some junk. I don't care who you are, rich, poor, it it really doesn't matter. I don't care if you're married, single, desire one or the other. (laughs) It don't matter. You're going to go through some stuff. And life is going to be unfair. But you got to lay your head down on the pillow every night knowing that no matter what happens in my life, God is righteous. God is just. When God judges on the matter, He will judge righteously. Now, I'm going to hurry through this just for the sake of time. And I'm going to give you some references Some things that I've never really paid attention to before until I began to study this out. This was a question. Maybe I'm too analytical, but this is kind of how I was going through this. In Exodus chapter 7 is where all this begins. Exodus 7 and 13, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now, the language of this at first, you just take a conclusion and say, oh, see, God hardened his heart. But I want you to understand And in 7 and 13, and 7 and 22, and 8 and 15, we find a more clear understanding of the language of the Scripture. That it was by the act that was done that Pharaoh actually hardens his own heart. When the act is done, Throughout the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. By Exodus chapter 9 and verse number 7, it said, Pharaoh sent, Behold, there was not one of the cattle of Israelites that was dead, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. That does not say that God hardened his heart. Well, it's just what it indicates, Pastor. No, I believe if the scripture says it, it's what it means. So let's take a little bit of a deeper look right here. It is obvious that Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. It's obvious that Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And he refuses to let God's people go. However, after the fifth plague, and if you're taking notes, stay with me. I'm going to give you a scriptural reference for every one of these, and you can write them down. The language changes after the fifth plague. By 9 and 12, 
We come to the sixth plague. It's the plague of boils. Nine and twelve. Somebody want to read that first line to me? We've come through five plagues that Pharaoh allowed his own heart to be hardened. We come to the sixth plague. The plague of the boils. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The seventh plague in ten and one, it's the plague of hail. And the Lord said unto Moses, going into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Notice the language here, church family. By plague eight, ten, and twenty, the Lord hardened. Pharaoh's heart that he would not let the children of Israel go. Plague 9, darkness of 10 and 26. Our cattle also shall not go with us. There shall not be a hoof left behind for thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God and we will not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. Darkness is upon the land. Verse 27. And the Lord. Hardened. Pharaoh's heart. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? By 11 and 20. We have come to the last plague. It's the death of the firstborn. So sad. It's darkness. It's a time of brokenness. Death of the firstborn in the land. And all of a sudden we begin to see some things. The Lord has now hardened Pharaoh's heart. I want to give you a 50,000 foot view if I can of this story. For the first five plagues. It's as though Pharaoh refuses to let God touch his heart. It's as though the hardening of Pharaoh's Hearts in the last five plagues is the punishment for hardening his own heart in the first five plagues. His own stubbornness and inflexibility led him to refuse to let God's people go. Mamadides interprets God's hardening of the heart of Pharaoh as meaning, and I quote this, Repentance was withheld from him, and the liberty to turn from his wickedness was not accorded to him. Follow the logic. He had five opportunities. And when he kept shutting God out, halfway through the journey, the Lord said, I see the intent of the man's heart. And repentance is refused. At this point, I've given him time after time after time after time. I read a quote this week that blew my mind. I want the depth of this to sink in. I know it's quiet in here, but God's fixing to reach somebody. Listen to this. At first, the evil impulse is called a wayfarer, then a guest, then finally a master. The evil is at first called a wayfarer. 
the impulse to reject God. It's a distant thing from the heart of a sinner. The first time they're presented with repentance, they say, I've made it this far without God. But the longer they linger on it, after a while, they begin to entertain it and it moves a little closer to the house. Now it becomes a guest. But it's not too long after it becomes a guest that you continually entertain, God gave me a chance, but I don't need a chance. God gave me a chance, but I can make it on my own. Truth was presented to me, but I rejected truth. And before long, the wayfarer that became a guest has now become the master of the man. And what you thought you had control of now has control of you. Oh, I'm preaching right now. Evil has two faces. Jonathan Sachs said this, evil has two faces. The first, turned to the outside world, is what it does to the victim. The second, turned within, is what it does to the perpetrator. Evil will trap the heart of a man. And he slowly but surely loses his freedom to choose. And becomes not the master to evil, but rather the slave to evil. It is your ability to choose this morning while there is still time and there is still grace and there is still mercy. But there's coming a day. I know you think you've got control of it. I know you think you're the master of it right now. But the thing that you feel like you're controlling will eventually get control of your life. And before you know it, you will begin to change your role from the master of your life and decision to a slave to your own decisions. I'm not here today to be a fear monger. I'm not here today to scare Satan's ideas out of you. But you've got to understand the power of choice is in your hand. You either choose life or you choose death. You either choose heaven or you choose hell. You either choose the narrow way or you choose the broad way. But today you're looking at a man who does not believe there's a gray area in between. The Lord said you're either going to love me or you're going to hate me. I'm telling somebody this morning while there is still an opportunity and mercy is still extended, you've got to let the Lord touch your heart of stone yeah 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 wait wait, pastor you don't understand you don't understand I choose how much I'm how much drugs I'm gonna take you know I've never been a drug addict, but I can tell you this right now. That is the number one lie is that you control it. Because what happens over time is what used to be enough is no longer enough. Well, but I control how much I drink. That's what every alcoholic says. Man, I'm telling you, I feel something in this room right now. I feel like God's trying to break some chains in this house this morning. I control what I look at on the web, Pastor. I control what I watch on TV. You think you do. See how long you can go without it. 
See how long it takes for that impulse to begin to kick up in your life. You know what they're proving right now? This is insane. They're proving right now that handheld mobile devices release the same chemical reaction in the brain of people as drugs do. Start tracking your own stats on your phone. It'll tell you how many times you lifted it to wake it and look at You didn't get a response. You didn't get a, a ring. You didn't get a text notice. You didn't get a vibration, nothing. But you pick it up just to make sure you didn't miss something. Hey, th th this is not just goofiness. I'm telling you, this is, they've studied this stuff out. It's amazing what we do. We habitually become what we never said we would become. Oh, my, my, my. And what you thought you were the master of, now you are the slave to. The Holy Ghost has sent me to this house this morning, refreshed and renewed, to tell somebody there is a space of repentance in this house. I want you to hear this, preacher. I know there's some people that you get tired of hearing repentance preached. That you wish we'd preach something else. Why do we preach repentance? Well, I want to tell you why I preach repentance so much. It's because it's not preached enough. We preach acceptance and call it repentance. God accepts you the way you are. Just come on to Jesus. Do whatever you want to do. And he'll accept. That's not repentance. That is the spirit of Pharaoh saying... I don't care how big and bad God is. He ain't convincing me to let him go. I know the story. I know history. I know it all had to happen. I get all that. But I want you to understand, Pastor, when I tell you, I believe that there was even space enough for Pharaoh to repent. You don't have to believe that. But I'm telling you, I believe that God gave him five chances to allow his heart to be softened. And finally when he saw that the intent of the man was to never let that heart of stone be softened, God said, okay, then I'm going to take a man who has not a love for the truth. Let's bring it to the New Testament. I'm going to take a man that does not love truth and send him a strong delusion and cause him to believe a lie that he might be damned. This is not Pentecostal rhetoric. It is the holy word of God. There are going to be people on the day the trumpet sounds that believe they are all right with God, but they have passed up every opportunity of mercy extended to them. And because of that, they're going to die lost and spend eternity in a devil's hell. You hear me this morning? I'm not here to preach hellfire and brimstone. I'm here to preach mercy. This is a window of mercy that God has extended to us that while we have a chance, we've got to repent of our sins. We must. Pharaoh, listen to this now. Pharaoh was born free, but became a slave. Moses was born into a nation of slaves, but he led them to freedom. Oh, well, I guess you could say that today because your dad was a preacher. I don't think you understand. 
I've seen people born into this thing that had every opportunity. Bishop, literally, how many times have we seen it? Amazing churches handed to young men that had full potential. Just turn and walk away. Just I'm talking about walk away from it. Get off in this Luciferian stuff about essential doctrine. I want to know what's not essential. If it's in the book, it's right. Your freedom to choose this morning may feel like a burden too heavy to bear. But I want to tell somebody in this house today that your freedom to choose is one of the most powerful tools that God has ever put in your hands. You've got to allow the will of God to challenge your will. I don't understand everything, Pastor. I don't understand everything about you Pentecostals. You don't have to understand everything about us Pentecostals. I don't want you to understand everything about me. I want you to understand everything about who he is. Because what I do, I don't do because society has put me in two bookends and called it Pentecostal. Pentecost is not a denomination. I don't believe what I believe because I've been labeled a Pentecostal. I believe what I believe because it's in the scripture. We are apostolic because we believe what the apostles preached. And we preach what the apostles preached. We are Pentecostal because we believe in what happened on the day of Pentecost. But we are Christians because we have repented of our past and allowed God to soften our hearts. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this morning, talk is cheap. In the book of Matthew, book of Matthew chapter 21, I was in this chapter this week. God just dropped a little nugget in my spirit, which eventually evolved into what I'm preaching to you today. Matthew 21, there's a parable of, of two sons. Pretty incredible. Verse 28, he said, But what think you, a certain man had two sons? He came to the first, and he said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and he went. It was hard. His father came to him and said, Son, go work in the vineyard. He said, I'm not. I refuse. I'm not going. I'll do it my way. Says that he had another son. He came to the second. He said likewise unto him. And the second son answered and said. I'll go sir. And he went not. L listen to me. I want to tell you. Whether you want to admit it or not. We, 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 we Christians have a serious problem. We put sin on scales. I I know. I'm getting them old dagger eyes cut at me this morning. That's all right. I got the microphone. Well, mine didn't hurt as many people as, as theirs did. Yeah, but the outcome probably will. 
See, I don't think nobody wants to help me now because I'm not screaming and spitting. So he comes to the first son and he says, hey, come help me in the vineyard. He said, I'm, <laughs> no. But then something happened to his heart. How do you know something happened to his heart? Because of his action. He repented. Oh man, I wish somebody would get this phrase is the challenge of the story. It doesn't say he repented. It says he repented and went. How do you know somebody repented? Because they go. There's a change. It doesn't matter if they said, I'll never be like those Pentecostals. I'll never believe what they believe. I'll never do what they do. Come on, we got people in here today that said, I'll never run the aisles. I'll never dance. I'll never shout. I'll never pray. I'll never speak in tongues. I'll never be baptized in Jesus' name. But they repented and they went to a watery grave, a baptism. But the second son, he said, hey, I need you to go to the vineyard. Oh, absolutely. Count me in, big daddy. I'm your man. I'm the guy you're looking for. I got this. Until the father walked away. When the presence of his father was absent. The will of the man was understood. Nobody wants to help me now. When pastor wasn't standing there. The true hymn was exposed. Amazing what people will do to please a church. Well, it's amazing what people will do to please a family member. But I want to tell you what God's looking at today is not what you say. Because talk is cheap. What God wants to know is, will you go? Will you work? Will you listen? Will you connect? Will you repent? Will you recant? This is the power of the grace of God. This is truly the power of the grace of God. Listen to what I'm saying to you. If I could take this story and insert characters. The father coming to both boys and giving them both an equal opportunity is grace. It's the grace that comes to one. It says, will you work today? He says, no, I, I don't think I will. Grace looks at the other one and says, will you work today? Yeah, I'll work. But when church is over, and it's Monday morning at work, and there's nobody there to pat you on the back and say, you're such a good worker. And I want to tell you something about this story that we could easily forget. Just because you don't see grace doesn't mean grace don't see you. And grace was not as concerned about what they said as what they did. The very next verse says, which one of the two? Which one of the two? 
shall receive the reward because they did the will of the Father. Listen. They said to Jesus, the guy that had the hard heart, the man that had the heart of stone, the first, he said, exactly. Because I can take a man that has a hard heart but will repent and make him the greatest in the kingdom. But somebody who already thinks they're the bomb.com and they don't need me and they've got all the answers, they got it all figured out. I got nothing to do. Pastor, where does it say that? Where, please tell me, where, where does it say that Jesus said, and then verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God? Oh my God, what? I, listen, I don't, I don't want this to sound, I'm not trying to be graphic. But the Lord said, I can take a whore and a whoremonger. I can take a harlot. I can take a broken person that their life is a wreck. And turn them around. But these people that sit on the pew and act like they've got it all together. That's not something that I can work with. I'm telling you in the house this morning, you are not weak because you need a physician. Jesus said the whole need not a physician. I'm calling to this house this morning and telling you, no matter where you come from, you have a need for God in your life. There is a need for repentance in your life. God can take that heart of stone and he can turn it around and make something beautiful out of your life. Would you stand with me this morning? You got two sons. The one that said, I won't, but he did. And the one that said, I will, but he didn't. I don't know today how to draw this picture without it just sounding like extremely rigid. But I'm not so sure that removing rigidity is the answer to salvation. As a matter of fact, I believe that standing rigid on the scripture and saying this is what it says and it's what we believe, I believe that's how salvation comes. But I want to draw a quick parallel for you if I could. I've preached all I can preach today. But I don't, I don't really know how to draw this picture without just drawing it really vivid. When I look at the story of Pharaoh, this is what I see. This is what I see. I see a period of time where breakthrough was possible. And then it's as though you can see the hand of God come down. And the will of Pharaoh is done officially in his life. In other words, Pharaoh says for five plagues, I'm not recanting. So the Lord says, if that's what you want, then that's what we'll do, and I'm going to help you. But you hear me when I tell you today, there are dangerous doctrines that float around in religion. Very, very dangerous doctrines. It's hyper-grace movement. Seeker-sensitive movements. We don't need to be as sensitive to the seeker as we do who we're seeking. 
We need to get the seeker sensitive to him. This hyper grace movement that leads us to an opinion that says it doesn't matter to God how I live. I just want to do it my way. And God will honor that. I haven't yet found the scripture that teaches this principle. Yet, we see churches that claim to be scripturally based preach it every Sunday. Boy, it's quiet up in here. I would rather deal with somebody that when I offer them repentance, they just look at me and say, I don't want it. Then I would for somebody to look at me and say, Pastor, I'll take it today and then walk away from it. Well, that's kind of counterproductive. No, I, I, I don't have time to explain this, but I don't want you to miss what I'm saying. There's going to come a season in every life. We don't have time to dive into the depths of eternity this morning. And I, I really hope I'm not killing momentum here, but I've got to get this off my chest. Every man, woman, and child in this room will stand before the judgment seat of God. Hear me. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, where you come from, and it really don't matter who you think you are. You're going to stand before God. The Bible said that he's going to, to take every idle word into consideration. And every deed, whether good or evil. But I've never found that part in the middle there, the gray area. Where he says, and I'm also going to take in to account every good intention. No. Listen. Understand the language. Every deed, good or evil. He said, you either came and worked or you left. You either got in or you got out. You either fell in love with him or you rejected him. I'm trying to help somebody this morning. Here's your decision. You have now been brought to a place of accountability. And I feel the boldness of the Holy Ghost on me right now like a fire. You may be able to walk into a church building that says, oh, those people are just fanatical. And it may make you feel better about where you are. But today, God has brought you to a place of understanding in your life that you're either going to love him or you're going to hate him. That you're either going to buy into his word or you're going to reject him. And today, the choice is no longer whether it will be preached because it's been preached. The choice is, will it be received? I'm a nobody. I, I'm a nobody. You understand that? I'm not elevating myself to any position of judgment. I'm not here to judge you. I was a presenter of mercy today that brought this holy book right here and said, right now, 
There is a season in your life that mercy has presented itself to you and said, come to me, love me, live for me, repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So today, my brother, my sister, my friend, I want to tell you that the ball is in your court. You can leave here with a heart of stone or you can let God touch your heart. Pastor, I'm afraid that kind of preaching will make people mad. I want you to see things from my perspective for one moment. I'd, I'd rather make somebody upset with me right now for telling them than to have somebody upset with me for all eternity because I didn't.